Romans chapter 1. As we just get done with Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the church, um, through the body of Christ. What a beautiful thing that is to move then right into Romans as Paul writes this from, the, from Corinth. He's in uh, Corinth, uh, where the first and second Corinthians is, is the, those letters we're aware of and we understand. Um, but he wrote this letter to the Romans from there, had not been there yet, desired to be there, knew there were believers there, um, knew he wanted to get there. So um, he was on his way and th- as we left Acts, right, uh, and was there and, and waiting for his trial for a couple years. Um, but before that, he had already written this letter to them. And so that's where we pick up this story of Paul the Apostle writing to them. Now, Romans, that's us. Hebrews, that's meant for Jewish people telling Jewish people to stop being Jewish people. That's basically what Hebrews is. Romans is telling people like us um, who don't have a background in this, uh, who don't understand exactly. I mean, you've been worshiping every other God under the sun, and now you become a believer. There are some things that are different. Um, Probably one of the most important, but also the most hard-hitting book in the Bible to read. Um, because Paul is trying to teach a secular society what it means to worship a holy God. And if you know anything about Rome, they were anything but a holy society, okay? Um, They had democracy, they had a republic, they had wonderful things as far as civics goes, yay! But when it comes to morals, no, bad. And so he is trying to explain to them, okay, um... Here's what being a Christian looks like now that you're a believer, you know. So for us, it's wonderful, especially if you're a new believer and you're like, I love Jesus. And he begins to show you things that you didn't realize were wrong. You didn't realize were always an abomination or always something that was a sin. And that never changes with God. It changes with man. We flip-flop or like a pendulum. We go back and forth. This is okay. This isn't okay. And it just depends on the moods of the people where it's with God. He changes not. If it was an abomination then, it's an abomination now. And so Paul has got to teach without um, crushing anybody, you know. He's a hard hitter. He preaches the truth, but he's doing it in love because this is why you got saved. There is no other reason to come to Christ, to come to Jesus for salvation, other than because you're a sinner. And those sins are these. And so he begins to describe these. Now, some people come to Christ because they know they sinned in this area, but they didn't think this area over here was even something to repent of. And so as they work out their own salvation, as they begin to learn about God and understand how holy he is and how far away you really were from him, it's kind of an eye-opener as you realize, oh, I got some more repenting to do, you know? And that's a wonderful thing. The Bible tells us that we're being conformed into the image of Christ. It doesn't dump it all on us at once. We're being changed into being like the Son of God, like Jesus Christ. We're not God, but he does want us to be holy like he's holy. And so he slowly teaches us, here's what needs to go, just like you would any kid. You don't expect a whole lot from a kid this big, right? But when a kid's about this big, you kind of expect a little bit more from them. And likewise, as Christians, brand new believers, hey, just glad you found how to read a Bible, you know, kind of thing. Good start, kind of thing. But after 20 or 30 years of walking with the Lord, we ought to be further along by now, kind of thing. And so that's what this book does. He's just, it's a book that will hit everything um, and teach us many things at the beginning, but also it's for young believers and for old believers alike. 
It teaches us. It's wonderful. So um, I have a lot of notes. And uh, so if you need coffee, you better go get it now. Um, I'll try not to be boring. I won't. But there's a, there are some, I mean, this is the greatest chapter in the world. I mean, I just love this first chapter of Romans. So I don't know how you can go wrong with it, but um, I'll try not to. It's Wednesday. Let's get going. Verse, verse one. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we write a letter, we say, Dear Bob, <laughs> when they write a letter, it's a little longer than dear, okay? So Paul is introducing himself and letting him know who he is. You've never met me before. You've heard of me. You've even probably got saved from some of my side missionaries that have ended up in Rome and you've become a believer or people have transplanted there and you, this is who I am. And he does a wonderful job of introducing himself. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Paul makes a progression from being the least of the apostles to the least of the saints to the chief of sinners as he gets older in the Lord. He doesn't start off with, I was a wicked sinner, but now I'm an apostle of God. You know, it's the other way around. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. And then later on in his ministry, well, I'm the least of the saints. Well, I'm kind of the chief of sinners. He realizes that. And that's everybody's progression. In a humility, in a walk with Jesus Christ that's honest, as you grow closer to God, more in love with him, but also a realization how much more you needed him than you thought you did. And that's the idea behind it. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, a promise, that's the good news of God, which he promised um, before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So this has already been foretold. We've already known that the Christ is coming. That's something I don't think people realize, that Christianity is the oldest religion in the world. I don't think people understand that. Um, when you say that, they're saying, oh, no, the Chinese have been around a lot longer, Buddha and all that. No, 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 no. Um, Christianity is the oldest. It's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the beginning, that is Christianity. There was always a hope for Christ. The Christ doesn't mean, that's not Jesus' last name. That's a promise of a Messiah. Adam and Eve were told that from the seed of the woman is going to come this Messiah that's going to crush the, the head of the serpent, Satan. He's going to defeat all these things. It's the oldest religion in the world. And so when he says, this is prophesied about, he's talking way back in Genesis, from the very beginning. And so Christianity is the oldest religion in the world. And, uh, and obviously the, the only, the only, that was only, there was only supposed to be that. It was only supposed to be that relationship with God. It was never meant to become anything else. But through the series of events, some people don't like the way it was and like this, so they invent and they come up with these other religions, which is not how it was in the book of Genesis. And so the prophets through the Holy Scriptures have already told us of the coming of the Christ, and this is the one I'm talking about. He was born of David, that's the flesh side of Jesus, but he's also the Son of God, which is the deity side of Jesus, okay? So God is, Jesus is fully man, fully God, come in the flesh. Um, and he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. The Holy Spirit indwelled Jesus Christ, 
And Jesus did all of his miracles because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in him. Okay. And that's what Paul's beginning with. This is just, his, <laughs> this is the doctrine that's built into his dear Bob portion of the letter. It's amazing how rich this book is. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience. That's what we do. We're apostles. Apostle simply means sent one. I'm someone who's sent. Being sent is a very daunting responsibility. It really is. I remember when I got sent out, laid hands on, and they sent me out. And we went to the first conference out in Indiana, and I just sat there. I felt like a 16-year-old kid who'd been given the keys to a Rolls Royce kind of thing. And it's like, man, I don't even want to drive, you know, kind of thing. Because the burden and the responsibility is so heavy to be sent. It isn't like that. It's, oh, I'm an apostle now. You know, you do not understand that word if that's how you say it. No, I'm a sent one. Someone who is sent is an errand boy. Someone who is sent is an errand girl. Someone who is sent is someone who just goes and does and says exactly what the master told them to say. That's what they do. It doesn't matter how it's received. You could be beheaded half the time. I've got a message from my king. He says, you're going to go down in flames. And they kill the messenger right there. Well, I was the sent one. Or every one of the prophets was sent by God. Every one of them were martyred, all killed. It's not a fun thing. It's not something that you... They didn't walk around saying, I'm the prophet of God. No, they kind of went in and said, I'm the prophet of God. And here's what he says, and I got to go, you know, kind of thing. I mean, they were bold, they were brave, but they kind of knew you don't hang around after the message is given because they got to digest it. And if they digest it wrong, you're done. Okay. Being an apostle, when Paul says that, was not a step up for him as he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He thought it was a step up. He counted everything as done. But for the world's, from the world's perspective, when he says, I am a sent one of Jesus Christ, oh, you know, oh, you're one of them. For obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also were called of Jesus Christ, just like me. I feel the same grace to you and peace from God. And those two always go together. Grace and peace in every letter and every letter, except for um, when it comes to the pastoral epistles, Timothy, Titus, he mentions um, mercy. Otherwise it's just grace and peace with the pastors. He says, you're going to need mercy. Um, But for all the others, it's grace and peace. And the idea is the order has to be that way. You can never have peace until you understand God's grace ever. Ever. You've got to understand God's grace before you can understand peace and have peace in your heart. He says, first, I thank my God um, through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I've heard about you guys. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means, now at last I might find my way um, in the will of God to come to you. I've been trying to get to you desperately want to get to you. But every time I try to get there, everything gets in the way. But boy, I, I really feel like this is it. But if I can't get there, if I'm not going to get there, if I, no matter how hard I try, here's a letter at least that's going to you know, uh, get there before me. Um, very important. Um, when he calls these people in verse 7, um, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called, it says, to be saints. It really is called saints. Everybody's, everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. And I think we need to understand that because it's been co-opted by a certain um, sect of Christianity that, to say that we authorize saints or sainthood. 
And that's not true. Um, it's unbiblical. It's not right. It's a way of lording over the people, and it's absolutely wrong. Um, we're all called saints. We're all to be saints. And I'll give you the scriptures to back it up. It's throughout scripture. I'm only going to do three of them because there were, I don't know, 127 places in the Bible that call us saints. Everybody that's a believer in Jesus Christ are hoping in the Messiah, whether you knew it's Jesus or not, you're a saint. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. Um, moving up to Psalms 16.3, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Moving forward to Daniel, one of the prophets, chapter 7, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And then also in the New Testament, but we've already hit that here in Romans. You're a saint if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you think that sainthood comes from deeds or works, that's the exact opposite of what a saint is. That's what a saint does. You're already a saint. You've been prepared and made by God for good works to walk in as a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you walk in those good works, that's great. But that doesn't make you a saint. You were a saint who walks in good works. That's how salvation works. To have it any other way is to have it backwards. If you think that my works are going to gain me favor with God, then you do not understand salvation through grace. Our good works that we do are because of salvation, not for it. And if you think you could become a saint by being better at being a person, then you don't understand salvation. Salvation is given. It's a free gift that's given to you. Of course, we should get better. Of course, we should improve. Our walk should be more holy. That's absolute. He doesn't save us to leave us where we are. He saves us to conform us. But that's from salvation, not for it. And so he makes it very clear. All of you Romans that are believers in Jesus Christ, you're saints. I pray for you all the time, he says. I always make mention of you in my prayers, that I might find my way to you if I can come to you. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Um, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual, mutual faith, both of you and me. That imparting of the gift... Um, I think it's a very simple thing. I think we make more of it than it is. He's not there to impart a gift like I'm going to give. I can't wait to give there, get there so I can give you the gift of healing. That's not what it means. It means I have gifts and I want to impart them to you. I want to use them in your presence. I want to, I want to encourage you with the gifts that God has given me and God will give you your gifts too. And you need to go encourage other people with them. But I hope to get there to be with you so that I can impart my gifts. I want to share with you. Paul's a teacher, made for it, built for it. It's what he does. Oh, I just can't wait to get there that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I land on islands and I heal people. Snakes bite me. Remember that in the book of Acts just last week? But that's okay. I, I can do that too. And that's all we talked about there. But sometimes I teach when I get there. Like in Corinth, I stayed there a whole year and a half. And I taught the Bible to all these people. I do that too. Gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, explains this to them. And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, that'd be Paul, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And here's the purpose of giving out those spiritual gifts to those people for the equipping of the saints, 
Again, there's the word saints, believers in Jesus, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's a long cross-reference. I know that. But the idea of God giving certain gifts, and he mentions a few of them in the beginning, Paul having some of those gifts is meant to impart to the other people that their gifts then may grow and be built up and used, and the whole body begins to get healthy. These aren't the only gifts. This is the beginning of those gifts. First, you got to learn about the gifts. So that's why the teachers are sent. First, you got to have an apostle who is sent, you know. First, you have an evangelist to get people saved, even though they need gifts. So those are the basics to get things started. But after that, people begin to, as the body of Christ grows and realizes what their gifts are, they begin to use those gifts and give them to each other and bless each other with them. And that's how the body grows and gets stronger and it's edified. That's what Paul says. I just want to get there and use the gifts that I have. And one of them is teaching. I'm a pastor teacher. I'm an apostle. I want to share that with you. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I offer this verse 13, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. Lots of things hindered Paul. It could be a sickness that he had. Sometimes he was hindered from shipwreck. Sometimes he was in jail. All sorts of things got in his way. He says, I tried, but he doesn't go into all that. He doesn't say what hindered him. Boy, we love to talk about our problems. I understand. We got to bear one another's burdens, but you know, This is how Paul describes his problems. Oh, I wanted to get there so bad. I was hindered. That's the understatement of the world. What happened, Paul? Well, I got beat up and died, and then I was resurrected. Oh, that's something to mention, you know? I was in jail. Oh, you know, I was shipwrecked. I was out there a day and a night floating on a piece of driftwood out there, shark circling. I mean, those are things we would talk about, right? You know, what hindered you? Oh, you know. He's so humble because they don't need to hear that. It doesn't make any difference to them what hindered me. The fact is I couldn't get to you. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about his problems. He doesn't care about his woes. He says, I just couldn't get to you and it drove me crazy, but I think I'm coming. I don't know if I'm coming. I'm going to write you a letter just in case I'm not coming. But boy, I'm going to try to come. That's, That's how he writes this. I love this guy. Such a man, you know, such a godly man. It doesn't matter what hindered, no excuses. It's gotten the way that I might have some fruit among you, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. That's a nice way of putting it. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready to share. Now, these are believers. He wants to preach the gospel to them. He wants to, he wants to make it, he wants to fill in the gaps more than likely. Because you know there's gaps, there's holes, you know, there's just things. Well, we heard and we kind of believed. But as Paul has been marching through the book of Acts, he runs into people and says, now, how did you first believe? And why were you baptized? Or how were you baptized? What name were you baptized? And he's straightening out a lot of stuff as he works his way through the Mediterranean area, you know. 
And that's one of the reasons he wants to get to Rome. I just want to fill in all the gaps. He understands, and I hope we understand this too, that a firm foundation upon God's word helps believers grow and stand in times of trouble. They've got to have this groundwork. Yes, I would love to see you speak in tongues, or I'd love to see you prophesy, or I'd love to see you, I don't know, do something amazing that's spectacular. But if you're not settled and grounded and standing upon the rock of God's word, you're going to fall over. You're going to blow away. And Paul knows that. He goes, oh, I heard there's a bunch of believers out there. Just want to come and fill in the gaps. I want that, I want that foundation solid, and I want you standing firm. Because I know a church that's set upon the rock of Jesus Christ and the teaching of his word will not fail, will not fall. It's so important. I want to get there. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 13, he mentions this debtors thing. He says, you know, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. I just want to preach the gospel. He says this later on. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I'm a debtor. Um, when you come to know Jesus Christ, you realize that Jesus died for you. Now, the follow-up to that is, then I will die to myself. Just like Christ died for me physically and took my sin away from me, I will no longer live. It's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me that I might be like Christ the rest of my life. He died from all of my shenanigans in the past, all my sins. I'm going to stop sinning, and I'm going to start living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. That's what Paul says. I'm in debt. I don't know if anybody's... This is probably a terrible analogy. You can probably throw this out, but leave it to me to come up with a terrible analogy. But if you've ever been drowning in debt, and I'm not going to look anybody in the eye right now, but if you've ever been drowning in debt and you passionately wanted to get out of it. Oh my gosh, I don't know how to get out of this debt. I want to get out of this debt. I mean, that there are entire ministries built upon this fear and crushing, soul-crushing debt thing. You know, They build ministries out of that. Now imagine if you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you understood the weight of that upon him. That feeling, not soul-crushing, this is where the terrible analogy comes into play, but the same passion to give out as much as you've received from Christ. I want to get out from under this debt. I'm going to tell, Paul says, I have got to tell everybody on earth about Jesus Christ. Then I'll die a happy man. That's what he says in the book of Acts. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I am innocent of the blood of all men. He really felt like his debt was paid. I've done it. I am fulfilling in me the sufferings of Christ, he says in another epistle. My debt is so great against Christ. He has done so much for me. He has saved me from so much of my sin. I have so much peace in my heart, so much grace, so much love that I could never find through religion. And here I am standing here. I've got to tell everybody about that. That's a debt. I'm, I'm indebted, he says, both to the Greeks and the barbarians. They've got to know Jesus, both to the wise and the unwise. I'm going to tell the smart and the less smart, you know. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm ready to come. That's why it's so embarrassing to him. All the people that were telling me, you know, you know, you know, the chains await you. You know, right? What's going to happen to you? You know, and he's like, 
That's embarrassing. Of course I know. Why wouldn't I go? Why do I care about chains? Why do I care about death? I got to tell everybody I know about Jesus. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, or for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. I don't whisper Jesus' name. I shout Jesus' name. Right after he says this, verses 16 and 17, he's going to go into some stuff that is going to be very controversial. But he doesn't think of it that way. And you can't think of it that way as a believer. And if you're an unbeliever, please don't take it this way. It's not controversial. It's knowledge. You ever start a new job and you don't know what you're doing? What a miserable experience that first two weeks is, isn't it? And they're all looking at you. How many times are you going to do that? 12 more, and then I'll be done, I promise. And then I'll get it right, you know? It's a miserable experience. As a new believer in Jesus Christ, and you're walking with the Lord, there are going to be times where you're tripping over your own feet, not realizing this is sin. I can't do this anymore. God says, that's right, it's sin. Uh, Brandon sent me a hilarious video. I can't share it with you probably because it's too controversial. But it's one of Bob Newhart who's doing a counseling session that charges $5 for the first five minutes. And after that, it's free. The lady's like, that's too good to be true. He goes, well, sit down. Let me talk about your problems. What's your problem? I'm terrified of being buried alive. He goes, well, I got two words for you. Ready? Stop it. Five bucks. <laughs> and she goes, what? You know, and it goes on and on like that. <laughs> we got three and a half more minutes. You got anything else? Well, I'm bulimic. I don't know. He goes, stop it. I know, I know. That's why I stopped. That's why I can't share the video. But he goes on and on with these things. And the, the idea as a Christian is you're walking along with Jesus and you realize, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. And honestly, God's answer to you is just stop. I've set you free. I've set you free. And who the Son has set free, you are free indeed. Anything you do from here on out as a believer in Jesus Christ is a choice. It's willing. That's a hard thing to swallow. We don't like that kind of... Con- we, want, we want this, and we want... Paul doesn't do that in this next section. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What I'm here to tell you is to tell you what God has set you free from. You didn't realize how in bondage you were. I'm about to reveal to you how much sin was in your life. And this isn't meant to make you feel bad. It's not meant to f- make you feel worse It's meant to show you how great a salvation you have and why I'm indebted to the entire world to tell them about Jesus Christ because of what he set me free from. It's very important. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish foolish hearts were darkened. I have some quotes. About, and they're from, I think I only put down maybe 10, 
of them of the 500 I could have picked from. Okay, so you're welcome for that. They are long quotes, but I wanted, I wanted, I'm taking the time here to drive home a point because I don't think we understand that Christianity is the most rational thought a man can have or a woman can have. Believing in Jesus Christ is the most rational thought as far as science goes, the understanding of this world, creation, all of it. It's the most rational. And so I'm going to read you some quotes from several scientists not the ones that just grew up where everybody was a believer or had to be, all the way up into 2013 and so on, of believers. Of all the Nobel laureates, only 11% are atheists. That may seem like a lot, but that means 89% of all Nobel laureates are believers in God. We don't get that. We get the exact opposite. We get the idea that all science is opposed to religion. There's a bunch of fools over there that still believe in a religion. Some fringe group of scientists that still haven't got their PhD yet, you know. That's not true. 89% of all Nobel laureates in all areas, not just science, but all areas, are believers. Albert Einstein. I want to know how God created this world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon. In the spectrum of this or that element... I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. Albert Einstein. Fine. Another one. The fanatical atheists are like slaves who are still feeling the weight of their chains, which they have thrown off after a hard struggle. They are creatures who, in their grudge against traditional religion as the opium of the masses, cannot hear the music of the spheres. Albert Einstein. Sir Isaac Newton. Old school. God created everything by number, weight, and measure. In the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. I have fundamental belief in the Bible as the word of God written by those who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. One of our newer ones. Freeman Dyson, physicist. Atoms are weird stuff, behaving like active agents rather than inert substances. They make unpredictable choices between alternative possibilities according to the laws of quantum mechanics. It appears that mind, as manifested by the capacity to make choices, is to some extent inherent in every atom. The universe is also weird. With its laws of nature that make um, hospitable uh, to the growth of the mind, I do not make any clear distinction between mind and God. God is what mind becomes when it passes beyond the scale of our comprehension. Technology is a gift of God. After the gift of life is perhaps the greatest uh, of God's gifts. It is the mother of civilization and arts and sciences. You ask, what is the meaning or purpose of life? I can only answer with another question. Do you think we are wise enough to read God's mind? That's 1981, by the way, from that. Um. God is the author of the universe and the free establisher of the laws of motion. Physicist and chemist Robert Boyle. Ernest Thomas. Um, Actually, yeah, this is the physicist Ernest Walton, excuse me. One way to learn the mind of the creator is to study his creation. We must pay God the compliment of studying his work of art, and this should apply to all realms of human thought. A refusal to, do, to use our intelligence honestly as an act, um, is an act of contempt for him who gave us that intelligence. 
The next one is physicist Paul uh, Davies, 2001. It may seem bizarre, but in my opinion, science offers the surer path to God than religion. People take it for granted that the physical world is both ordered and intelligible. The underlying order in nature and the laws of physics are simply accepted as given, as brute facts. Nobody asks where they came from. At least they do not do so in polite company. However, even the most atheistic scientist accepts as an act of faith that the universe is not absurd, that there is a rational basis to physical existence manifested as law, like order of nature, that is at least partly comprehensible to us. So science can proceed only if the scientist adopts an essential theological worldview. Astronomer. Um, this is uh, um, astrophysicist Hugh Ross. Astronomers who do not draw theistic or deistic conclusions are becoming rare. And even the few dissenters hint that the tide is against them. Jeffrey Burbridge of the University of California at San Diego complains that his fellow astronomers are rushing off to join the first church of Christ of the Big Bang. <laughs> he says, nope, you got to have it. Robert Jastrow, he's an astronomer and physicist founder of NASA's Goddard Institute in Space Studies. Astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in, its, in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Lord William Kelvin, one of the older school guys. I believe that the more thoroughly science is studied, the further does it take us from anything comparable to atheism. If you study science deep enough and long enough, it will force you to believe in God. Physicist and mathematician, James Clark, Clerk Maxwell. I have looked into most philosophical systems and have seen that none will work without God. Science is incompetent to reason upon the creation of matter itself out of nothing. We have reached the utmost limit of our thinking faculties when we have admitted that because matter cannot be eternal or self-existent, it must have been created. That's just a few You're not on the fringe. You're not on the edge. When you believe in Jesus Christ as the creator of the universe, it's the most rational explanation for the world that we live in. I just want you to know that. And I wanted to drive that home because that's what we just read. And Paul knew this. He said this, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, Science clearly points to Jesus Christ, clearly points to God. There's no getting around it. But, but, <laughs> they don't want it. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, we just got done with Job on Sundays. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, and I don't know if I focused on it. But Job chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Job says this, but now ask the beasts, 
and they will teach you. And the birds of the air, they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Just look around. Don't be afraid to search it out. Don't be afraid to do science and to look into these things and to examine these things. Don't be afraid of those things. Amazing. Mariah's smiling because she knows where I got that quote from, aren't you? Yeah. We have this wonderful little series that we listen to. Well, I'm forced to listen to in the car because I got a bunch of kids. Um, what's it called? Jonathan Park series? Oh, it's amazing. Like 13 radio like level series, you know, that you can listen to and takes kids through everything. Oh my goodness. So rich. Amazing. And uh, anyway, he mentioned that quote in our last one. I'm like, I was in Job. How'd I miss that? You know, kind of thing. And uh, so I stole it for tonight's teaching. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man. That's the first step. What we're reading now, starting in verse 21 is the decline of every civilization that's ever existed. They understand there's a God, they refuse to accept that there's a God, and they begin to step out of that and to remove him from all thought in any civilized life or any way in the civilization. And this is what they come up with. They profess to be wise, we're smarter, we're atheist, and in the process of doing so, you become a fool. And I've mentioned that before. If you take the answer four out of the equation and you're trying to find the answer to two plus two, you'll never come up with the answer because you've already removed four. And if God is the answer to all creation, but you will not accept that answer, then you will never come to the conclusion, ever. You become fools when you ignore God. And you change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Everybody loves to do that. Every... Every other religion is making God into something that man can control. A bird, a cow, uh, whatever. They bring, it, bring him lower, less than me. I'll bow down and worship it like I'm supposed to, but I'm really in control because I can pick it up and put it in the closet if I wanted to, is the idea. So they become foolish. The birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So after they start worshiping the creator or creation as opposed to the creator, He gives them up to that. Fine. Have it your way. Fulfill your lusts of their body and in their hearts. Dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we got to get back because we're into the trees now. Remember what Paul's doing here. He's writing to the Romans. They've never worshiped God before. They worshiped everything he just described. Things, uh, feelings, emotions, you know, the goddess of love, Um, the the God of violence or the fish God or whatever. He's just told them all of that is bunk. None of it is good. And then I want you to look a step higher and it makes sense to them. You're talking about created things. Let's look up to a creator and the aha moment just happened for them. That's all he's trying to do is to say the one you worship now is the one that made all these things that they have taught you to worship, but you shouldn't, you should worship the one who created these things. To remove all that stuff from your life. For this reason, because of that, because they've been given over to the lust of their flesh, here's what they did with that freedom. God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. 
that's not a popular section of scripture today. Among Christians, that's not a popular subject to talk about homosexuality, to talk about sodomy, to talk about lesbianism, to talk about transgenderism. None of that is popular right now. All of that is jail worthy, or we're very close to it, just so you understand. This has not changed, and it is not love to throw this out of your Bible. It's hate. Paul is teaching the Romans of all people, and if you don't understand Roman morality, read about it. Okay, this the original man-boy love association, this is where it started, right here. Pedophilia ran rampant in this culture. Paul is stepping in to say, it's not right. It's not natural. This is because you've been given over to vile passions. This has nothing to do with who you are. This has to do with what you've made yourself, what you've decided to do. It's the most loving thing you can do is to talk about people and what they've been set free from so they know they've been set free. To tell them that they're in bondage and to teach children that there's nothing you can do about it, that you are just made that way, good luck, is to increase their chances for suicide by 80%. That's not love. That's hate. That's That is laziness. That is, I don't want people to think ill of me. I don't want to receive the backlash from telling the truth. I'll just keep my mouth shut. The world's going to do what it's going to do. It's not what we're called to as Christians. Paul is doing the impossible. Hey, before I get there, I'm so excited to see you guys. By the way, everything you know about society, it's wrong. All your cultural experiences as far as sexuality goes, it's all wrong. Godly sexuality is completely different. And he's trying to explain that to them. And I want you to know, though, how you got here. How you got to this being so normal. How you got to this permeating the entire society because you decided a long time ago in 1960-whatever America to remove the Bible from schools, to stop praying, to remove God from any area of life. And so God gave you up to vile passions and now you find yourself here and you're worshiping everything but the one who created everything. The decline of every civilization historically has followed this path and we are on it as a nation. We are on this path. And Paul is simply telling them the truth in love. The most loving thing you can do to someone is tell them that is sin and it's going to cause the destruction of your life. Turn. The penalty of the error, which is due. Um, I was going to spend some time on this, but we're past time already and I don't want to. So I'm going to give you the verses you can read on your own. Because this, what he's described in 26 and 27, has always been an abomination even before the law. Some people go back to Leviticus and that's fine. They can go back to there. It's in Leviticus 18. That's when the law codified that this was sin. It was before that. First of all, in Genesis chapter 19, verses 4 through 5, now before they lay down, the men of the city of the men of Sodom, both old and young, all people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called out Lot and said to him, where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. That is one of the reasons Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed. It's only one of the reasons. There were many other reasons, but that was one of the reasons. It's still one of the reasons. 
We don't ignore that reason because it's embarrassing to talk about or we're afraid of what might happen or the backlash that might come from it. It's still one of the reasons. Genesis 19, it's already sin. Leviticus 18 codifies it. Jeremiah 23, 14. Also, I have seen the horrible thing in this prophet's in the prophets of Jerusalem, they commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me, inhabitants like Gomorrah. These are the other reasons Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Let me read those to you. Adultery, walking in lies, strengthening the hands of evildoers. It's all part of it. Ezekiel 16 describes some of the other reasons that they were. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Fullness of food, abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and the needy. That was one of the reasons that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But all those reasons together doesn't nullify the fact that it's also because of the homosexuality that was in that, that was rampant to the point where they had rape gangs surrounding the house saying, bring out the new guys. No. It's sin. And you can be set free from that. And you can be renewed in your mind and renewed in your heart. And God can change you from the inside out. And that's become illegal in Canada. And it's going to become illegal here. I won't be able to say that anymore. I will say that because I love people. And I want people to be set free. But it's going to become illegal to tell people that they can change. And that's mean and it's hateful and it's lazy and it's self-serving to not speak the truth in love to people. Verse 28, we're going to wrap this up. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of all evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's quite a blow to Rome. A wonderful, a wonderful attack on the moral decline of Rome. It was beautiful. It's the most wonderful thing Paul could have ever shared with them to realize this isn't right. This isn't normal. I can move on from this. One of the things I didn't read to you, and I I do need to read it, is 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 11. He goes through the list here, Paul does, to the Corinthian church of the things that they've been set free from. The things that Christ died for. I'm not even going to read those to you because you get it, right? We'll pick up in verse 11 of that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, after he gives us this list of all the sins that you've been set free from, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. He's speaking to the church in Corinth saying, you need to stop doing these things. You've been set free from these things. And if God's word says that you can stop, you can stop. It's a fact. He doesn't call us to do something that's impossible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. Um, When we read these things, we realize the distance. 
what we thought was holiness, that we thought maybe we were just needed a, a little salvation, we realized that we need a lot. This world needs a lot of salvation. So many things to be set free from. So many reasons to come to you and to believe on you for salvation. Lord, give us the boldness to speak the truth in these days. These are the days of Lot. These are the days of Noah. And we're living in them right now. And what's happened in all those societies is happening right now worldwide. And we're distracted by a lot of things. But as Christians, help us to be focused on what we're called here to do, and that's to preach the gospel. Tell them the good news that they can be saved from their sins. And sometimes, always, we have to enumerate those. They have to know what they're being saved from or what they need to repent and turn from. Help us to have that boldness, but help us also then to have that love. That we share these things not to be right or to argue or to make ourselves look better. We don't quote these scientists because we want to know that we're right. We just want to know that we're not alone, that it's right. And some of the smarter people in the world that are studying these things agree. It's you. They see you. Um, And we thank you for that, that you've given us humble servants of yours sight to see that you are the creator of all things and the lover of all men that you want to set everybody free. Lord, we're indebted. Help us to spend our lives um, getting out of that debt, sharing with everybody we know how much you love us and how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.